The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Thank you so much for being with us today on Afternoons with Mike here on The Shepherd. Each and every day at this time, I'm privileged to be with you, bringing you some guests that uh, are active in getting the gospel out for the Lord. And we have some guests in Studio A today. We're packing this studio out. It's great to have them. A whole crew of people. You remember last week, we would have had on a couple that have been here before. They are with the Citrus Alliance of the Arts, Shirley and Barry Draper. And they were talking about an upcoming production that's going to be later this month. And it's going to be in several of the communities around Central Florida. And with me today, I have George Livings and his son, Alex Livings, and also Darla Hayward. And they're all here to tell us about this big production that I know is going to be really exciting. It's going to be presented first at First Baptist Orlando. So welcome all three of you to the program. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. It is so great. George, I know that, let's start with you. I know that your background is music and, and also obvious stage production. You've done a lot of this, not only in the United States, but in yes. London as well. Give us your background and, and how you came to know the Lord. Uh, well, originally I was trained as an actor in London, in a drama school, um, back in 1990. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm a young whippersnapper. Um, but um, I trained as an actor predominantly and musical theatre. And then out of that, I went straight into the West End, which is the, the London version of Broadway. So I did Kiss of the Spider-Woman, Forever Plaid. I went on national tour. I actually played Jesus in Godspell on national no, tour but... as a non-believer. So, oh wow! Which is, well, I don't think that's a big surprise for a lot of people that were in Godspell, right? I mean, it's, it's not. But what's yeah. what's a passion for us is as we do our show, um, we're not always sure whether someone is a believer in Christ. But I do know that the words of of God is coming out of their mouth when they speak the script. There is some truth to that, for a, for yeah. a fact. Even yeah. uh, the the truth is truth wherever it is and exactly. from wherever it comes. So my stu- my study as an actor during Godspell was I'd sit on the side of the stage and read some of uh, the New Testament just to get my character b- breakdown. So oh, yeah, you... I'm thinking I'm doing character analysis, but I'm actually reading the Word. I think God had set you up, my friend. Uh, you set me up. <laughs> you set me up. Um, but um, And then after that, I did a show in Germany called Starlight Express, which is a show on roller skates. So I had to learn to roller skate Come for six on. weeks. No, I was roller skate for six weeks. And then we had to learn to dance on roller skates for six weeks because you're doing this, this whole show, singing. That's where I met my wife. Um, so she was, I was, I was, was it in the emergency room at the hospital or uh, no, no, but I have been there quite a few times, um, because of that show. But, um, I I just say, this is humbly speaking. I was the lead and she was, you know, not, and she, she, she liked the lead. She liked the lead. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, no. I think it may have been the accent. I think it could have been the accent. Yeah. The accent does it. Yes. Yeah. Um, she's born and bred in Orlando. I'm born and bred in London. Met in Germany. That's another thing that God orchestrates everything. You are an international couple. We are. We are. Our kids are half English and half American. I don't know which is the better half, (laughs) but uh, I'll leave it. Once you speak to Alex, you'll know. Um, But then during during that production, I found I had I had a heart condition, and they said you have to stop right away, otherwise you're going to be dead at thirty. Wow! It was a cardiomyopathy where I had uh, my left ventricle was enlarged. And it really was my wife that pushed me to say, okay, you got to go to the doctors because I kept having palpitations forever and my heart was basically weakened. So I, I did the operation. I went back to, we went back to London. We got married, went back to London to live there for a while. And then my wife decided to take me to a church on the Sunday that Princess Diana died. Isn't that something? Yes. And so we're in there and she takes me to a Pentecostal church. You know, the best, a non-believer, the best church to go to Pentecostal church. Okay. What? Nothing, nothing wrong with them. What was the church? I don't remember their name. Yeah, but all okay. I know is it was two hours of weeping and wailing because of Princess Diana. Mm. And me as an Englishman is very introverted, you know, doesn't want to tell them their problems. And these people are wailing, crying around me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what has my wife done to me? You know, because I wasn't a believer. I, the thing is, as, as growing up, 
we always watched Jesus of Nazareth with Robert Powell every mm-hmm. Easter. That yeah. was our that was our going to church. Yeah, prerequisite. You know? yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, and I always went to uh, midnight mass uh, uh, on Christmas Eve. I always believed in God. I was never a um, an evolutionist. I was never someone to believe. I always believed in God. But being English, I didn't know what the steps were to have a relationship. So I was aware of God, but I didn't have a relationship with God. Yeah. But um, in that service, there's this guy who was a healer. They said he was a healer. He prays over people. Mm-hmm. And miraculous things happen. So at the end of the service, my wife brings him over to me, and he puts his hands on my chest. And he starts praying out loud in the middle of this. And I'm like, I'm like, what's going on around here? You know, again, this is all new to you. It's all new to me. So I'm embarrassed. But the week after I went to my doctor back in Germany and they were like, your heart's getting better. You know, within six months, my heart was back to normal. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, so God is still going, still knocking knocking at the door. And, uh, but even then I still, I still didn't come to faith then. Oh, wow. It took another three years. Uh, we moved back to um, Orlando and my wife was getting getting a job and I wasn't getting a job. And I just felt this tug at my heart that God was just saying, you know, just trust in me, trust in me. And I was just reluctant because I've realized as I meet other people, it's not that they don't believe. It's just they're unwilling to give over the throne of their life. And I was unwilling mm-hmm. to have somebody else in control of my yeah. life. Yeah. But once I realized that I wasn't, you yeah. know, then I gave my life over to Christ yeah. in 2001. February, I was 31 years old. So I was pretty long in the tooth at that point. Mm-hmm. And then I got, the next day, I got offered a job. I, I put my resume in for two weeks before that. The day I got saved, the evening, the next day I got called for the job. And it was almost like God saying, I told you so. That's it. I told you so. I've been waiting for you. You know, it's like, it's like the, the 99 sheep and the lost sheep. He's mm-hmm. going to chase you down. Yeah. You know, so, and then I worked for the whole land experience for 10 years. I wrote all their shows with my writing partner, Jonathan Hickey, who wrote The Last Adam with me. And uh, yeah, I've been there. Then I became a, a pastor. I was ordained at First Baptist Orlando. Wonderful. Yep. I did not know that. Yes, I'm ordained. I'm one of those. I'm closer to God than most people. Okay, there you go. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. just, just, just the way so it goes. You, you know, no. Um, but we, um, Jonathan and I wrote Christmas trees for First Orlando for 10 years from 2010 to 19. We did one which was an Easter production, the light, different things. So we've we've been actively writing for twenty years together. Wow! Last Adam actually started in two thousand eight. So when you write as one who writes for musicals like this, you have to be uh, able to do both. You have all of the the script of yep. the of dialect of dialogue, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you've also got this thing called the music score that's got to be written as well. Yeah, yeah. So I mean. I've been playing the piano since I was 13, so I, I wasn't able to read very well, uh, but I could understand music. So when I saw music, I could understand it. And music just pops into my head. Um, it doesn't. It's not like a conveyor belt. It's always going on. Mm-hmm. I truly believe it only happens when, when, when God is ready to give it to me so that I can actually be humble to say, it's not really me forcing it. You just got to sit and wait for it. Yeah. Um, but yes, we, we come up with a concept of the story that we want to write. And then Jonathan and I kind of work through what the scenes would look like, how we want the pattern to go. And then we just earmark which scenes would need songs. Because songs in a musical is not just like they sing a song. It's where the dialogue can no longer take you emotionally where you need it. But mm-hmm. music can do that. Yeah, Music brings in it another does. dimension. So the, the songs that we have is just dialogue to music. It just takes you to that emotional place. Yeah, And then the audience can just go, you know, like you hit a note, um, and you're, you're, you're singing with passion is so much more, it's so much more breathtaking than just speaking the word. Yeah. You know, so music has always been a passion. Musicals has always been a passion. I was a Les Mis freak when I was growing up. I loved Les Miserables. Um, that's really mu- pretty much the, the area that Last Adam is written in. It's kind of that big epic sound. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, actually, we've actually rewritten the show quite a lot in the last 10 years because the writing a musical is never the first draft. You write a musical by all the rewrites. That's how the musical happens because you start to kind of just refine it. Okay, what is the story? This is too much information. This is ex- excess information. How do we get to the point quickly? Mm-hmm. So it's just refining, refining. And now we believe the show is where it needs to be. And after you hit that point, then the refining ends? What do you, do you, well, do you stop rewriting things? Uh, 
Well, I don't think you're ever, ever, ever happy. Ever yeah. happy. But, <laughs> but um, since 2008, the, some songs have stayed. It's some settled songs in. Have, yeah, some songs have been mm-hmm. rewritten. Some, there's been new songs in the last five years. But it's hard because every song you write is like a child to you. Wow. So you see them grow up. Yeah. It's very hard to let go of things when people say, that song needs to go, that kind of stuff. But we've, we've kind of redesigned the show. When it first happened, it was very much 100% Christian audience. Now the show is it's still it still has that 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 avenue for the Christian, but it's very much more open towards the non-believer. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we get the non-believer to understand who Jesus is? Because we have found over 10, 15 years that I'm going to apologize for saying this already, is that the church has sometimes told the audience what we're against rather than what we're for. For so mm, long, mm. so there is a lot of there is a lot of belief in America and Western civilization that they 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 don't like the church as much, and then they think that Jesus is that. Yeah. So we're trying to reintroduce them to who Jesus is. There's no there's no agenda for us in the show. Like we're not going to say you have to be saved by the end. No, because the Holy Spirit yeah. does that. Yeah, you're really right when you say that. A lot of people. Uh, would feel that the church has been less than, let's mm-hmm. say, and I'm talking about the big church now, yep. all churches, yep. less than as successful as they would want to be or think they might be with regards to getting the gospel out to, to mm-hmm. non-believers. And I yep. know there have been a lot of efforts. Churches have had programs that went through the whole seeker-sensitive thing, and that didn't work out as great as yep. what um, a lot of people thought it was going to work out. Mm-hmm. But the the true gospel, I mean, the real gospel, when people come face to face, just like what happened to you, yeah. you're an unbeliever in going into a church that believed for miracles. Yeah. You walked away with a miracle Absolutely. in your own body, a mm-hmm. healing. Yeah. And uh, that is just the grace of God at work yeah. right there. Most churches, I believe, have turned, have turned inward because they're protecting themselves, like especially during COVID. Like, how do we keep our congregation? Mm. And I think we've forgotten what that great commission was, going into all the world teaching them who I am, you know, we need to open our doors to people that don't look like us, don't mm-hmm. sound like us. Um, and I think we've lost that. I think we've, we're in protective mode. You know, how do we protect our congregation? How do we protect our, you know, keep the building open? Yeah. But I believe if you're, if you're faithful and you go out to, you know, go to that non-belief, I believe God will, will honor that. I believe he will too. Yeah. And he's doing that through you. Now let's get to Alex real quick. Mm-hmm. Your son, Alex, what's it like growing up in the home of an actor, uh, producer of music, the way your dad has done? What's What has that been like for you? It's awesome. I mean, uh, every morning I kind of wake up to strings and trumpets. So um, it's nice to wake up and hear um, nice melodies mm-hmm. and everything. But um, going all the way back to when the show was uh, first written, um, I have just, I've lived and breathed the melodies and the message of this story and being able to see how much it's changed and how much it's been adapted um, throughout the past uh, couple years. um, It's just been amazing to see and to see my dad's passion through it all um, and Jonathan's passion. um, It's really nice to see and to be able to be a part of it behind the scenes and, um, you know, help um, make decisions that are, um, you know, hard for maybe the writers because they've been with the piece for a long time. Um, yeah. Alex will come along and say, we need to we need to cut that part. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <Cut that part." laughs> so so you definitely are bringing a youthful eye. I think a lot of our listeners would be trying to figure out how old you are. Why don't you go ahead and give your age? Yeah, so I'm 22. Um, all my friends... That I had I, him very young. Yeah. <laughs> um, all my friends that I've showed... The music too um, that are my age think it's very cool, very modern. Um, the melodies are very powerful. Um, they're in your face. Uh, they're catchy. Um, yeah. So, I mean, being 22, I could definitely say that this is one of those musicals that will kind of hit like Hamilton or Dear Evan Hansen, where it's like that new show that um, we just haven't yeah. we haven't heard transgenerational. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think it's awesome that you guys are doing this in that very uh, that very scheme. I mean, 
I would think a lot of our listeners are dads that would love for their 22-year-old son to come alongside them and want to be with them. And so I think it's wonderfully, although it's rare, it's wonderfully uh, present in you guys. And that is an example, I think, for a lot of people to see and go, hey, I don't know what they're doing, but they've got something right going on in their lives. That's really wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I know um, a lot of kids my age will watch, you know, action movies and stuff that has like Hans Zimmer in it and uh, epic strings. And there's a lot of that um, modern type sound uh, drums that are that that's in this music that, um, yeah, will translate to a younger crowd in a very cool way. Well, that is really great. And your role per se is uh, what would be your main role in this thing? So I've been assisting my dad um, throughout this process ever since we've come back um, from COVID. So helping him produce, uh, get the show in um, different venues, um, and honestly, just help with uh, other little decisions that have to be made. So is it safe to say that the same bug that bit your dad has bitten you too? Definitely. I definitely have the theater bug. I love it. And, uh, <laughs> but you know what? Alex probably knows the show better than I do now because I've, I've, you know, he's known it since he was seven years old. Yeah. So, and you know, so he will tell me things sometimes. And you know, this is missing. I'm like, what's missing? What are you talking about? Then he will remind me about things in the music that I wrote that is missing. And I'm like, oh yeah. So he constantly reminds me about things that I've missed. Yeah, I think it's wonderful to have that, uh, you know, in your case, it's your son. So they're bringing not only his love for you and his appreciation of all you've done, but he brings this youthful eye and ear. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that's something I found. I'm a dad of four adults now, young adults, our youngest 32. And so w- when I'm around them, I get a different perspective. It's not altogether uh, far different than what I might see, but I've got mm-hmm. the advantages mm-hmm. of their youthful eye and ear. And yeah. I think that's, that's a benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think the story itself, I mean, you can't really tell a greater story than this. Yeah. Well, that, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, you can, you got to really mess it yeah. up to, you know, yeah. to, to, to get this wrong because you've got the greatest story that's ever been told. And then again, that transcends every generation, that story, the story of love, hope, forgiveness, restoration is for everybody. And it's so wonderful to think that that greatest story that's ever been told is now being told in a way that uh, that the generations that are alive today are Mm going to be able to hear it and regardless of age, appreciate what's going on. And also be able to invite that non-believer without fear of the show being less than because there are plenty of plenty of things out there that say it's a Jesus show, but it's just does it hold its own against the other other material that's yeah, out there, like the right. Hamiltons or, or Wicked or right. You want to be able to say to your non-believing friend, come see this, I have confidence. Even if you get nothing spiritually out of it, you will enjoy the show and you'll understand what it's like to have a restorative relationship with someone. Yeah. yeah. And yet we also know, as you said a while ago, that God's word never goes out and returns void. Mm-hmm. So even if they don't think they're getting something spiritual out of it, they're oh, yeah. being impacted to one oh, degree yeah. or another. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're going to walk out that door and they're going to go seek a friend they haven't spoke to in years and they're going to restore it. And that's because the Holy Spirit is already working in them. That's awesome. You know? Well, in a moment, we'll be back and we'll hear from Darla and find out her role. And of course, we'll still be chatting with these two fine gents as well. Thanks for being with us. This is Afternoons with Mike. We'll return in just a moment. If you're a Christian business person and you want to meet people who want to do business with you, you need to join the Central Florida Christian Chamber of Commerce. Why? Because the mission of the Christian Chamber is to build kingdom, business, and community. And it all starts with the Christian principle of building relationships. To learn more about the Christian Chamber and all the different ways you can get engaged with hundreds of other Central Florida Christian business people, visit cfchristianchamber.com or call 407-258-3578. Back again with my guest today from the production. It's actually almost like an off-Broadway production that's going to be done right here in town called The Last Adam. And with me today is George Livings and his son, 
Uh, Alex in, is here as well, the assistant producer. And also we have Darla Hayward here. Now, Darla, let's go to you for a moment. Okay. How did you meet these these uh, incredibly talented folks from the other side of the pond? How did that happen? Well, um, I'm best friends with George's wife. Ah, that, so, there you go. I've known her for many, many years before she did meet George. We both worked for the Orlando Magic um, on the dance team. Oh, yeah. And then... Um, our, our friendship just transcended all of that, and we've been friends ever since. So you were an Orlando dancer or I magic was. dancer? Back, what years would that Back have been in? Back in the day, from at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. we would have been. I was there, night number season one. Season ticket holder, huh? Yeah. yeah. No, no, not a season ticket holder, no. but I, I went a lot of times, though. Yeah, so I was with the Magic for probably seven years in the Wonderful. beginning. I like to say I left and Shaquille left two weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> so you were there during a pretty exciting amazing uh, period. Amazing time. Yeah. Yes, it was wonderful. Penny Hardaway mm-hmm. and Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And I used to not only dance on the team, but I handled all the appointments for um, the mascot and the community programs that the players did. So uh you know, I got to interact with those guys, They're all great people. Wow. And I feel so proud of like who he's grown up to be. And um, yeah, it was a really amazing time experience. It was all brand new. We kind of nobody knew what they were doing in the beginning, right, right. but it was very much a family. I loved uh, working for the DeVosses when they took it over. Um, so it was a great experience and I made lifelong friendships uh, through the dancers Uh not typical, I think, for a lot of women to get together and remain so bonded, but that is exactly what has happened with that group. They have been my life, lifelong friends, but no matter where Janine went in the world, even when she went to Germany and met George, uh, she would always call all the time like it was she was across the street. It's so exciting. Yeah. I had a lady on last week who had just written a book with her friend of 70 years. Wow. And uh, I, it was so delightful to us. She's an octogenarian in her 80s, and mm-hmm. uh, they've been friends since kindergarten. That's so amazing. long, probably 75-year friendship mm-hmm. there. And it, the, what you're saying is of the same cloth that you meet someone, and they kind of follow you. They just are there. My, my good friend, Danny Jones, I've talked about him, and he's been on this show a lot. We hit 50 years this year oh. in friendship. Now, that's pretty great and we're still best buds so what you're talking about is possible although i think a lot of people don't realize it is right yes yeah and um i always knew you know what george did and and was able to kind of come in and out of what he was doing musically and um when he told me that he thought last adam was ready um you know after covid and i heard the music i have spent a lot of time after, after the Orlando magic, I worked for Disney for 25 years and 15 of that as a, as a casting director. So I've had a lot of exposure to musical theater, really good quality musical. Yeah. All over Mm -hmm. lots of shows in New York. And when I heard the music, I thought this is Broadway level. This is, it feels very current. I feel like it's going to resonate with a lot of different generations and um, I would have to say I didn't do a deep dive into the script until after we had really cast everyone because that's where uh, my focus was. But uh, there are even more moments in the script. It's hard for me in rehearsal to not weep in certain places. And the songs, you know, what you want out of a musical, you want everybody walking out humming that tune. Mm-hmm. You know, you want them to yeah. go buy the cast recording. And um, there are several songs that, that do that to me in this production wow. and um it's people are going to be really impressed now i know that the person that is playing the role of christ is tyler walls right that's right and he was yes. up in this very studio in this very room for amazing grace exactly up here with uh with shirley mm-hmm. and got to know him uh and he is so talented and you know from kansas city i mm-hmm. guess he is and i think that's the beauty and that's the what i love so much about being a casting director is um those relationships i have with the performers and the opportunity to get to see them grow from the first day of rehearsal to where they are now and mm-hmm. we're at a place we still have a couple of weeks of rehearsals left but we're at a place where um the memorization and everything has started to settle in and now they're really hearing what they're saying and they themselves are moved 
So to know that they can sing it week after week after week and still, you know, feel that feeling um, makes me so much more confident that our audience is going to feel all of those same moments that that we feel are special and important. And our cast probably doesn't look like what people would expect. And I think that's what I love about it the most. In what way would you say that? Um, We're of all different races. We're all different builds, you know. Tyler doesn't look like a typical Jesus on television. You know, um, our Pharisees may not look what people have conjured in their head or had been given in a picture. Um, so to me, that really br- brings it down to who the person is, who the character is. You're not going to be distracted by um, anything. You're going to look at that person and say, that could be me. That situation mm. could have happened to me. That person looks like me or um acts like me or has the same background as me. So I think that's another reason why it's going to resonate with the audience. Well, I think this is exciting. And let's talk about this for just a moment. It's going to be at First Baptist. Again, give us the dates, any one of you, give us the dates and opportunities people will have to see The Last Adam. February 22nd and February 23rd. That's a Thursday, Friday at 7.15 p.m. You can actually get your tickets at lastadammusical.com forward slash tickets. Um, and we have several venues. We do Church of the Cross and Life Point and Eustace the week after, but that would be the concert version um, because we are taking the entire show. The concert version is still the entire show. All the songs, all the dialogue, all the blocking, everything. It just doesn't have the set because some churches don't have a big enough stage. Sure. So we've offered them the concert version. Then we go to New York for three days, actually to the church that, I serve out. I live in New York. So we're going to take the, um, them up there. And then we're back at U- USF and we go to Wesley Chapel um, in Tampa. And then we're, we're locking in Claremont Performing Arts Center, Northland Faith Assembly. Now, will Northland be a uh, full or concert? It'll be the full version. All right. The full version. Because their stage is humongous. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we're yeah. going to do the, we're going to do the, we're going to do the whole show there. So yeah, we're excited. Yeah. yeah. February 22nd, 23rd is when we open. You should come see the 22nd because it's their first night. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. really, there, yeah. there's a lot to be said about yeah. that, right? Because so, a lot of, so, yeah, and sometimes first and opening nights are just absolutely wonderful. But mm-hmm. you guys have brought up Broadway and West End and London. Uh, you know, that's when all the critics are usually there yep. as well. And they're, mm-hmm. If you're in New York and you're on opening night mm-hmm. and something goes wonderfully great, well, that can that can mean a long run mm-hmm. for you. And also the February 22nd is great because if you do like it, you can then invite a friend to the next day. To the next day. If you come on right. Friday, then you you have no other opportunity yeah. until the following week. So, uh, Or yes. buy a ticket for somebody. Oh, yeah, I that's one of the things that I think uh, was brought up in uh, the, my talk with Barry and Shirley, this whole thing of paying it forward. Absolutely. Because you guys are doing all of this in a time where, you, and you mentioned the chosen, crowdfunding and paying it forward is a, is has become a, a really big way for not only musicals, but also mm-hmm. films. So it's like a sound of freedom when they had at the end of their credits, Jim Caviezel will come on and say, instead of funding, they just said, go to the box office right now and buy a ticket for somebody. Yeah. And that's the same attitude we have. It's like, we don't, we don't want you to put money into the show per se, but if you know somebody that would never come to church on a Sunday, but they would go to a show, Go purchase them a ticket. They have no excuse then. Yeah. You know, because they won't come and see three services or a sermon that they feel is pounding the gospel in their, you know, to them. And they're thinking, I, I'm ashamed at the, you know, of what they're telling me. But you'll go to a show, sit there with the same message coming at you with songs and dance and this. And so I would just encourage them to, to come to the show just because we want it to be successful as well. You we know. do. And we I'd do. like to go back to Alex for a question. <laughs> Alex, again, 22-year-old young man, you would have lots of friends that are not believers or maybe, sadly, so many young people today that whose parents are believers are going through this deconstruction of faith phase that's going on right now. We hear about that. It's heartbreaking to me as a pastor to see the kids of friends uh, kind of go that direction and, and remove... Yet you're so enthusiastic about this. What what are you telling your friends, your peers about this musical? I'm telling people that um, really about this show, um, it's very different than what other Jesus projects have tried to do. So especially with the characters, we don't um, we don't look at the characters as 
superheroes, um, as Danny said in um, Sunday last week. Um, we kind of look at them as, you know, flawed individuals, you know, real people. And that's what I tell my friends, especially Judas. We all look at Judas as this evil villain that betrayed Jesus. Um, this show kind of takes a spin on that. You know, we kind of look at him as if he is um, the underdog or um, he's more gentle. Um, and I think those are the things that more people my age are going to um, like because they can actually, they, they, they identify with these characters. Exactly, exactly. And most other shows, um, you know, Simon Peter will already be the Peter after, um, you know, after his ministry. But really, these disciples, they didn't get it at first. They didn't understand um, what they were truly called to do. Yeah, and that's true. And this show really touches upon all those subjects. And um, yeah, I think, I think most... Most Christian musicals, productions, I think they play these characters like the icons they became instead of who they were at the beginning. Messy yeah. people, yeah. flawed, yeah. broken. And every one of them, I would challenge anyone to say that not one of them, maybe John, not one of them was saved until after Jesus came back. Hmm. Because I heard someone say, if they, if they were saved, they'd have been sitting outside the tomb on Sunday morning going, okay, three more minutes. He's coming out. <laughs> Not one of them was there. Every one of them yeah. doubted. So we can have that theological discussion about whether they were saved. But they all, Judas just happened to put an end to his life. But every other one of them did exactly the same as Judas did. They all deserted him. In one way or another, that was still betraying who he was, who he said he was. Mm -hmm. And then only until he came back and said, put your hand in my side, you know, your finger in my hand. And then they say, you are the, you are the son of God. They had to see it with their own eyes. We, we are, like Jesus says, we are more blessed because we haven't seen it and we believe, yeah. Yeah. you know. And so these, these guys are characters uh, that are, f like I said, flawed, messy. And the greatest thing is they can be flawed and messy. And Jesus will still come back to you at the end with Simon Peter on the beach and say, do you love me? Hmm. And when Simon Peter says yes, he goes, I will always be with you. doesn't matter how much you mess up. Jesus will still give you the opportunity Yeah, say, do you love me? You know, I you saying that reminds me of a conversation I had with a guy uh, that I don't get to see that often anymore, but we had a, a lunch meeting, and he looked at me, and with real sincerity, he said this. He goes, Mike, we will always be friends. Mm. We'll always be friends. Now, that was a simple little sentence, but it carried a profound weight in my mind when I heard it. And I think that is what you're talking about. You, these disciples, you're right, they were messy. They uh, obviously they were proud. They were trying to talk as who's going to be at the right hand, who's going to be at the left hand. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of contention going on there. I think the chosen does a pretty good job of picking up some of that yep. in the dialogue between the disciples. And also, um, you know, I've grown up uh, being a Christian ever since I was, you know, very little. And, um, you know, now being able to... Um, you know, look at the show being 22, I felt like I have rediscovered Jesus in a way that oh, um, that's wonderful that, you know, growing up being Christian, you, you know, you learn everything on Sunday and everything, but you know, there comes a time when you yourself have to make that decision. That's right. It's gotta be your faith. And, yes. And not your parents, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, this show will, um, you know, it will answer questions and it will question certain subjects that, um, you know, as a young Christian, you will be able to, um, I guess, rediscover Jesus in ways that you couldn't before. I think that's well said, my friend. That's mm -hmm. very well said. And my prayer would be that the Lord uses this play in our mm -hmm. area to ignite a fire in a lot of young people, yes. just like yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, Alex, that are maybe whether they grew up as a Christian or not, like you did, that they'll come to know the truth. One more question for you, Darla. Uh, you're dealing as a casting director. You're dealing with a lot of people who are not full time or professional actors. Is would that be right? Uh, I, th I would say we have a mix of both. Mm -hmm. We have people that um, are professionals, and that's what they do, and they have figured out a way to be a part of this project because they have a passion about it. And then we have some people who this is their first really big opportunity 
to uh, do something like this on stage. Well, so that's it's really a great, great mix of experience and they've already become a family. And mm-hmm. they get to feed off of each other's Absolutely. experience too. So that, mm-hmm. that just grows them all the more, especially those that aren't full-time. Okay, we've got just enough time to tell us again the dates at First Baptist for The Last Adam. February 22nd and February 23rd. That's Thursday, Friday at 7.15 p.m. There's only 4,000 seats in the in the auditorium. So get your ticket quick. Yeah. So there's 8,000 seats, and 8, we, ex- we seats. expect 8,002 people to come. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not sure with who those two people would be, but... That'll we'll be you. That'll be you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would love to be there. As I mentioned to you, I'm going to be in Nashville that week. Uh, but uh, I will definitely be looking to come when you're at Northland. And... Don't, don't tell anyone, but we'll walk you in. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. We'll walk you in. Ooh. We'll get you a good, oh, we'll get you a good seat. All right, that sounds great. On the stage. All right, uh, (laughs) final words here. What would you want people to to pray about between now and the time they get to see this? I think what we have found uh, as we go is that we have walked in faith for years, and the devil has continually told us, why bother? Mm -hmm. What are you doing it for? You're going to fail. You're not good enough. You're not this. You're not that. And But God has already said yes. Mm. So I think... The prayer is just to keep us focused on what God has already said yes to, and not even the devil or anybody else can close the door. I so just keep pr- just keep praying for us to have our faith be rock solid, because the storms come every day for us. Because we're about to change the world, mm. and we're about to change people's generations that never knew who Jesus was, and the devil doesn't like that. Yep, I'm sure you're right. What's the website? One more time. Lastadammusical.com forward slash tickets. Just last, not yeah. uh, the. No, it's just L-A-S-T, Adam, as in Adam A-D-A-M. and Eve. Yeah, yes, right? <laughs> someone says atom, like as in the, atom. no, not the last atom. <laughs> no, no, no. Adam. Yeah, yes. this is not a science experiment here. No. That's right. All right, there we go. Well, I look forward to seeing this ultimately, and I pray that you sell it out both times. Thank you all Thank for you being so here. Much. Thank you. And we'll be back in just a moment. Join host Mike Gilland for The Shepherd at Work every Saturday morning at 10.05 a.m. You will be introduced to a marketplace leader that will help you learn to walk out your faith wherever you live and work. The Shepherd at Work is sponsored by the Central Florida Christian Chamber, building kingdom, business, and community throughout our area. That's The Shepherd at Work this Saturday morning at 10.05 a.m. Welcome back to our last segment for the day here with me in the studio, a new friend, Alex Pickens, actually listed as Alex Pickens III. So you've got the family thing going there. Alex is a community outreach minister up in Lansing, Michigan. He's down in Central Florida doing some business down here and was kind enough to drop by and say hello to us. And let us know a little bit about his ministry, which is called Reliant.org. And it is a ministry that involves first responders. But before we can really get into all that he's doing, I think it's really important for you to hear the backstory uh, that Alex is going to share with us. So welcome to the program, Alex. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful to be with you today and able to share the backstory that you mentioned a little earlier when I was 16 years old, I was living in the city of Detroit. My parents worked in the city. We worshiped in the city and we recreated in the city, but my parents did not believe that Detroit public schools were an option for me and my brother. So when I was four years old and my brother was in diapers, I was bussed out and carpooled out to a suburban tuition based school. It was a great education. And were you you were in diapers and no, sent up? No, I was I was four years old. Oh, you were four. Oh, your brother was in diapers. So they sent him along too? Well, he would have been a little messy. <laughs> I would think so. And so yeah. they, they made him wait his turn. All right, there you go. But he did come out after me when it was his turn to start kindergarten. And so I was three years ahead of him in school. And we got a great education in the 1970s and 80s. And so uh, suburban, urban dynamic is 
ubiquitous in the U.S., not just in Detroit. There are Mm -hmm. realities all across the nation. And we went to suburban schools as urbanites that brought its own layer of complexity. I finished eighth grade, asked my parents pretty, pretty please if I could go to school in the city. They said I could for high school. And so I did. I began when I got my driver's license in high school. Mm-hmm. It was my job to pick up my brother from school, drive out there and get him. And so that's what I did. I did what my parents asked me. I was driving out and crossed the one street that was the border between the city and the suburb. And on the suburban side of the street, there was a police cruiser. That cruiser driver and I locked eyes and he whipped the U-turn and began following me. He followed me to the school. I picked up my brother, picked up our neighbors and we were headed home. I knew enough to know that I was being followed by the police. Mm. And so I picked another driveway to exit the campus. And at that driveway, there was a different police cruiser that started following us home. Mm. Everything was fine, except I was followed to campus and now followed home from campus by the local police force. But other than that, I was having a a lovely day. (laughs) Now, I know a lot of people like yourself who in in America, and this is uh, to me a real sad epitaph, the truth that so many African-American young men and women have had such interactions with the police. And it actually develops a bit of fearfulness, doesn't it? Well, I can't speak to the other African-Americans, but I can speak to my own African-American experience. Yes, there is a distrust, a fearfulness um, laced with historic statistics Mm -hmm. and long in this country, the law of the land was the same trend that we see in urban suburban spaces, that of separation. Mm -hmm. And that's those separations were enforced by jurisdictional lines, which are patrolled by law enforcement professionals. And if you step across a line, whether it's, virtual or actual, well, sometimes you get followed to a campus and you get followed out of that jurisdiction on your way home. And that's what happened to me. And the children were in the back seat, And, and you're basically driving your, your, uh, brother and somebody else. And just uh, in your, what you said, 16, 17, correct. 16 years old, 16 years old. Yes, sir. Wow. So we, So what happened? Well, because we're children, all of us, the younger children said they wanted to stop at the drugstore and get some candy. So I did. I pulled in those first and they jumped out. They had their own money, went in, came out. And I was about to bum some starburst off of them. And (laughs) I threw it in reverse and I was backing up to go home. And as I was backing up, that police cruiser that had been following me cut me off in that parking space. He blocked me in with a parking block in front, two parked cars beside me. Mm -hmm. Police cruiser behind. I wasn't going anywhere. I threw it in park and I began thinking about the African-Americans who gave me the keys to pick them up in the first place. My parents pulled me to the side and they told me that there were some things that I needed to know if I was going to drive in Metro Detroit when I got the car keys. They were talking, but I was listening long enough to get the keys because I was 16 and had it all figured out. This right. Is, all 16-year-olds have it figured out, right? Well, I, I, I was the right kind then because I, I sure did <laughs> know what I was talking about. I said in my imagination, it's it's 1990, Mom and Dad. We're past all that. Uh, wow. But yeah. you can you can take your Southern sensibilities. My mother was from Maryland and my father was from Alabama. And they sprinkled them on me in the North. And I listened long enough to get the keys. Mm-hmm. 
but when I was boxed in and the officer was coming up with his thumb on the holster on the driver's side, I was grateful they told me what to do. I put my hands on the steering wheel at 10 o'clock and two o'clock. Yeah. I told the children in the backseat, no sudden movements. <clears throat> I got my licensed officer. What seems to be the problem on the tip of my tongue. And I started rolling down the window to deliver it just like I had been taught in my mother's kitchen. But before I could get it out, the officer told me to get out of the car. Stood up and officer, what, what did I do? And turn around, put your hands on the hood. Spread Eagle, 3.30 in the afternoon in a homogeneous community of affluence. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were all grateful that the officer caught the scoundrel. Gave him the paperwork like my parents told me to. And I waited while he called it in. He came back and he said that I fit a description. Said that there had been a bank that was robbed across the street. He thought I was the guy. But it's obvious that I wasn't. Gave me the paperwork, tipped his hat, jumped in the cruiser, took off. Oh, wow. Left me very badly shaken. Oh, yes. Home. Traumatized. That's a... That's a radio word. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's why you're you're doing what you're doing. I, I was. And I got home. I told my brother. I didn't want to talk about it. Don't tell our parents. And he didn't. But the carpool went home. And they told their parents everything. Their parents called my parents. My parents sat me down. Alex, why didn't you tell us what happened? I said, I, I don't want to talk about it. I'm scared. I'm humiliated. I'm embarrassed. And they didn't pressure and push. Matter of fact, they prayed for me. They laid hands on mm. me. They filled me with hot food and an assurance of grace. And they told me it was going to be all right. They put me in bed. When I got up the next day, they put those car keys right back in my hand. And they said, you're going to get on that horse. Oh, that's good. So that's... That's what happened. And you had some great parents that were leading you well, Alex. And you went from this. A lot of people would look at this and this thing that happened at age 16, which was, like I said, traumatic. And yet God has done a work in you where now you are involved in a ministry to first responders, just like the people that pulled you over. That is correct. And it is the work of the Lord. So we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. We found that the trauma, your word, not mine, lives in our members. It lives in our bones. Mm -hmm. So from 16 to 21, I made decisions to avoid suburban spaces. The college that I picked was in an urban setting, big city. There's a college in Florida called Stetson in central oh, yeah. Florida. I, I saw the little college town. Didn't want to go to Stetson. Didn't want to end up in an itty bitty little college town. I wanted someplace big and wide where I understood the rules. Did that four years in Washington, D.C. Had a great time. They should have called the cops on us because we were dumb some of the time, but <laughs> had a good time and got out. No cops. I joined the Peace Corps, served overseas, came back. Went to grad school in Baltimore, a seminary in Chicago, heard a call to preach, and married my wife and started raising our family in Detroit, hmm. all in urban settings, and I was doing just fine until the telephone rang. It was a church, and they were looking for a pastor, and I was a preacher looking for a church, and the marriage was made, <laughs> but it was a suburban church. Way up in Michigan, uh, Lansing, Michigan, East Lansing was a suburb, and we moved to a suburb of the suburb, an exurb. And I'm waking up every day with, uh, I don't know, deer in the backyard and possum and mm -hmm. foxes and dig in. I'm starting to pastor that church, but the longer I stayed there, the sicker I got because the trauma was in my bones. I didn't know that I was driving around in suburban spaces and I always felt like I was 16 years old waiting mm. for someone to stop me, yeah. pull me out, traumatize me, misidentify me, cut me loose. Except now I'm married. Mm -hmm. Children in the backseat are our own. So the stakes are a lot higher if that 
footage of pastor on the hood of the car. That's going to beat me to the next board meeting and I might not have a job. And so that was stressing me out. Sick. Doctors told me so. Went in the prayer closet. I said, Lord, help me. Would you help me, please? I got this pretty wife, these slobbering children. It's an amazing job, but I don't know if I'm going to live to enjoy it. And the Lord revealed that I was afraid of law enforcement because it was the same demographic. I was pastoring white folk. I don't know mm-hmm. if you all say that down here in Florida. I was a black pastor, pastor in a white church. And uh, I didn't know that my endocrine system was destroying me. Isn't that something that an event that many years ago carries ramifications in your physical body all those years later? There's a book that's called The Body Keeps the Score. I highly recommend the read. Mm. It was my case study, and the Lord revealed that score in my bones and said, you're in bad shape, Alex, but... I'm the one who made you. Man, that's amazing. I know time is running by here. I'm going to get the information out about Reliant. Sure. So what is it that you do in a, in a short description? What is it that, and how is it that you reach out to these first responders? So I reach out to the first responders by doing what the Lord told me to do over and over and over again. I was in that prayer closet, scared, and the Lord said, get up off your knees, go down there, knock on the door and go make some friends. And that's what I did. Hmm. I went down and they signed me up for a ride along. I heard the officer's story. It was a horrible tale of brokenness, really. And Hmm. he broke my heart. I came home. I did another one, another heartbreaking story of ways that they try to kill the pain. And it just created a burden in me because nobody calls them for their pain. We call them for our pain. And that birthed a chaplaincy of Christ-centered outreach among first responders. We go 40 hours a week, and we work with them, walk with them, sit with law enforcement professionals. I'm a civilian, Mm -hmm. not a cop, don't want to be a cop, but I love the Lord, and the Lord loves cops. And so I love cops. That's beautiful. Yep. And I'm grateful for you. You're doing a wonderful work. Reliant is something that anyone can take part and back. You list down here three ways to help. Number one, obviously pray for what you're doing. Number two, volunteer. Because you're doing this, this is uh, kind of an international conference of police chaplains that we're talking about right here. So there's, it's wide and far. And then number three, obviously, if people would like to give, they can do that. What's the website for that, Alex? Yes, sir. The website is www.reliant.org forward slash alex.pickens. Wow. It's really wonderful that you were able to drop by. The time has flown by. Alex Pickens the third. Deputy Director for Michigan and this Reliant organization again, Reliant.org. Thanks for coming by today. Thank you for having us. This is wonderful. We'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. (laughs) 